Welcome to Hunting Influence, a podcast by Influence Hunter. We share stories from those that have it and those that leverage it to help you develop what we believe could be the most important skill in business right now, influence. I'm your host, Aaron Kostinets. I'm here today with entrepreneur Eric Rivera. Eric is the founder and CEO of Surapet and Honest Paws. Honest Paws is a market leader in CBD for pet products. They offer a wide variety of different products for dogs, cats, and horses that help to calm your pet down, support healthy bones and joints, relieve bodily discomfort, and boost their overall health and wellness. Eric, before doing this, was also an early investor in both Cellbrite and Ad Espresso. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I would love to kind of get this started uh, by having you take us back uh, to your early days. Um, how did you get started on your entrepreneurial journey? Was there um, is there a first business or side hustle that you can remember um, that kind of laid the grounds for what you've become now? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think I think you know when I was younger, I was always trying to kind of build little micro businesses obviously the scales are a little bit different um back then but you know i think i think you're aware of this but you know i went to college to the um uh, naval academy and so i actually was commissioned as an officer and so my 20s i was actually in the navy and i got out um around 29 and kind of had a decision you know do i want to go get my mba and kind of go that path or do I want to do something different? So I decided to start an e-commerce business. And, um, so that was the first thing kind of after my previous, you know, career, I guess you'd say. Um, and we basically took niche products and, um, built these kind of niche bullet bottle openers to sell them on behalf of veterans charities. And it was a really good introduction to kind of the world of e-commerce, um, and taught me a lot about kind of, you know, social, uh, you know, social media marketing, um, search engine optimization, so SEO and content marketing. And then that, that became kind of the foundation for how I got into the pet industry, uh, with our portfolio companies. Yes. So, so tell me more about the Naval Academy and then ultimately the Navy. What was that experience like, you know, going there and, and how did that kind of, uh, impact your look on life moving forward after you were done with that? Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, kind of some of the things that you learn when you're, when you go to the Naval Academy and then when you're in the Navy are really focused on like leadership principles. Cause these organizations are pretty well developed in terms of structure. So what they focus on is like, how do you get a whole bunch of people to do things and kind of, you know, for impact, right? So this concept of being kind of mission oriented and, and leadership principles and, and management principles. And so. I think, I think over the course, let's just take the whole course from, from the academy through being a, um, explosive ordinance disposal officer. What I really learned and, and some of the things that really stuck with me are, are just how to work with people at scale and how to get people aligned and how to really, um, you know, how to get teams to do great things, which I think is fundamental to any human endeavor, right? Regardless of whether you're a tech company or you're a, um, uh, non-tech company, you know, there's it's just like normal, normal, like a brick and mortar retailer, right? Like at the end of the day, all organizations become kind of human endeavors for now, maybe in the future it'll change. And so a lot of those a lot of those skills and a lot of that experience translated well after we started to get traction with our current businesses. Um, the other thing is it just really teaches you about this concept of calculated risk, 
which I think at the end of the day, like entrepreneurship is really just constant balance of like taking risks or making bets on things that you think will pay off or, or, you know, things that you think won't kill you or destroy your company. And so it just makes you very comfortable living in that kind of chaotic uh, environment and being able to make um, pretty rational decisions despite, you know, a lot of fires burning around you. Um, yeah, yeah. And what would you recommend to someone who maybe doesn't get the same experience as you where you probably had to learn really fast and on the fly, you know, about leadership principles and calculated risk that maybe isn't in the Navy? What would you recommend uh, an entrepreneur do uh, to better themselves in, in those categories? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard because like I don't I'm trying to I can't pinpoint to one specific thing, but I think understanding risk. So understanding how like second order second order and third order effects and and having that kind of second order and third order thinking is really critical. So if I do this, then this will happen and then this will happen. Right. And I think that looking through that lens helps you kind of, you know, kind of people say stay two steps ahead, but really what you're just trying to understand is, is like, you know, if I do this, what are the implications of that for other things? And then the second part is, is, you know, what's the kind of risk profile, right? Statistically, like, is, does this have a high probability of being detrimental or does it have a, a, a low probability? And you're, you're constantly just balancing those things. So I would say it's kind of understanding second order and third order effects and just understanding kind of probabilities, right? And just getting good at kind of gauging the probability. You can be wrong too, <laughs> um, but... But, but at least if you're thinking about it, you're, you're better than most people. And the last part is, is, is kind of looking at downside. So a lot of times entrepreneurs tend to be pretty optimistic and they're always looking at what the potential is like, and, and that, you know, that kind of like, uh, that irrational optimism that leads them to go start a business or, or, or solve some big problem for people. But a lot of the times I try to look at the thing of like, what, what will destroy me? Like, what are the, what's my downside? And I try to always, um, minimize that because I know that if I take 20 bets, right. Or I take, I make 20 decisions and none of them will, you know, kill my business or destroy me financially. Then, you know, if one of them takes off, right. And one does extremely well, I'm good. If none of them do, I'm still there because I think to some degree, business is a game of survival because there's always shit that goes wrong. So, so, you know, being able to kind of live to fight another day, right. Kind of more of a, a, a something you say in the military, right. Um, it, it is really important. So I think, you know, in addition to second order effects and kind of being able to kind of peg probability and, and understand kind of the probability of an outcome also always looking at what's your downside and minimizing your downside. So nothing's catastrophic. Um, and catastrophic downside is financial risk. Your business falls apart, you know, all that other stuff. And, uh, and if you look through that lens, it just helps you make decisions faster and um, and more accurately. Yeah. So how long were you in the Navy for? And did you kind of decide coming out of the Navy that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or were you really <sighs> unsure and it just kind of happened uh, to go that way? Yeah, I, I think I always, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I like solving problems. So my job in the military um, after I got commissioned was I was an explosive ordnance disposal officer just a Navy way of saying bomb technician. So I worked with Navy bomb bomb squads, I guess you could say, and we were embedded with different types of teams. So, you know, um, Naval Special Warfare or they, they embedded with, um, uh, 
you know, um, SF teams, special forces teams with the army. And so, you know, I love that job. Um, I love the people I worked with. And I think the other part was, I love that you were constantly challenged and you're always having, going back to like making decisions. Um, you always had to problem solve, right. Especially when it gets into kind of the ordinance stuff, but you know, as an officer, like at some point you stop being, you know, you stop being like on teams that are you know, really doing a lot of things and you kind of roll into an administrative role. And so that was about the time in my career where I was shifting to more of an administrative role and it, it just didn't fit well with my personality. And I, and I thought that probably the best next step for me was to, uh, to get out and go do something else. I didn't really know exactly what that something else was, but I had a strong suspicion it was something in, in entrepreneurship just because of my personality type. So take me through those next steps. You're done with the Navy. You've been in there for a while. Uh, what did that look like for you in between that time and starting out uh, CertiPed and Honest Pause? Yeah. So, I mean, I got out, I moved to San Diego, California. I didn't really do much for a while just because, um, you know, I just kind of took some time off. And as I was living in San Diego, I, you know, San Diego is kind of a hot, hot spot for e-commerce businesses and a lot of people doing things really on the e-commerce side and, and a lot of interesting things in the advertising side. So, you know, affiliate marketing, um, display advertising. So, you know, traditional media sites and all that. And so as I, as I, you know, as I was kind of taking some time off, I just started to get acquainted with people that were in those spaces. And so it really interested me, but I had a really steep learning curve because like for the, you know, for (laughs) for all that time that I was in the military, I wasn't thinking about this stuff. Um, and so, so for me, it was just really getting aligned with people that were doing it, understanding it, and then trying to do something, right? So this is kind of something that I always say is be biased towards action because a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're starting out, like they hold their ideas really tight and they think about this perfect outcome that will happen in the future. And I tend to be biased towards like, let's do something or because once you're doing something, you're getting feedback and you're learning. And so that's where we decided to do this um, uh create this e-commerce company that worked with veteran charities. And that was really just like a mechanism for me to say, all right, well, I've got a Shopify store now. I think I had a big commerce store. This is when big commerce was, was a little bit larger. So, you know, um, actually it was a WooCommerce. It was a WooCommerce. So I had a WooCommerce store, you know, which if you kind of think about the learning curve there, so now you're selling stuff, right. But you have to have a storefront. And so that storefront's built on whatever, whatever CMS you're using. So you got to kind of learn that. And then now you have a storefront with products in it. Remember, this, this is back in 2010. Um, uh, Shopify was not as large as it is now. And it's not as, it wasn't as easy just to launch, but it was better than it was, you know, 10 years before that. So, so, you know, by, by starting, it just took you through this series of steps of problems to solve. And all of those things are like fundamental to, to just like being a, digital entrepreneur, right? So learning about e-commerce, learning about CMS systems, understanding server loads, you know, understanding um, supply chain logistics. You know, if you kind of walk through all of that, like that first business really taught you that. Um, And it just happened to be kind of a unique angle. Um, And we got a lot of traction early on because I think it was, it was kind of timely. And so from there, you know, the, 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 the total addressable market of e-commerce businesses working with veteran charities is pretty limited, right? So it just has a natural cap. And so I decided I wanted to do something um, in a bigger market that I, that I really liked. And so 
you know, it's probably some combination of me living in San Diego because Petco's there. It's a really pet friendly city. And, you know, having a dog and my sister's a, a huge dog advocate too. Um, and so having a, a family that's really like, you know, pet oriented, um, that, that probably, that probably skewed kind of where I saw opportunity and we launched CertiPet. We built a software platform. Um, and then we've actually, there's some other e-commerce businesses that we own too in the pet space, but that was kind of the jump into that. It was really around like, what's a bigger opportunity and kind of a bigger market that we can be involved in. Um, that's less niche. Uh, and the pet industry is huge. I think it's like hundred billion dollars a year. Um, so lots of opportunity to do things. And, um, a little, a little under six years ago, uh, started doing that. And then now we have, uh, the kind of the one pet ecosystem, which is a you know, portfolio of kind of high end DTC brands in the pet space. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, touch a little bit on each of the, the one pet, uh, brands that you have for my audience? I think, Primarily, we'll focus on Honest Paws here, but I'd, I, I'd love if you gave kind of a background of, of each of the brands that you're currently running. Yeah, so we have CertiPet. Um, CertiPet, we built like a software platform that routes. It's basically, it's, it's, it's kind of like a niche version of like Uber, if you, you know. Um, so basically, somebody comes in, they're, they're a generated lead. We work on behalf of therapists and they connect them for um, this niche use case of emotional support animals. We have Vets Preferred, which is a is primarily an Amazon FBA business. Um, and that was kind of our first jump into starting Amazon first. We have Honest Paws, which which uh, is our, our wellness brand. It started as um, a CBD business, but we've since expanded into other product categories. And then we have, um, we just recently acquired veterinarians.org and we're turning that into a uh, media publication site. So just like a traditional media site. And then we are launching a mobile app in the Televet space. Uh, it's actually getting approved in the Apple store right now. So, and that's going to be called One Vet. Awesome. So you're kind of building a whole pet uh, conglomerate here. Um, what kind yeah, of- yeah. Oh, and actually we, we acquired, yeah, we, we had acquired a company last year, uh, Paul five, which was, a which was an FBA business. And then we, we grew that company too. And, and to your point, like really the way we see our business is, is like, we've got all these great customers. Like they're, they, they love our brands. Like we're really big on high NPS scores and, and really high quality customer experience. And we just want to find, you know, curate, find and build the best products humanly possible for them. So, um, and we'll do that any way that we can, right? So it's not just, we only build this one thing. And if you don't like that, forget about it. We can build products, we can build digital experiences. So we have a full stack software development team. We can build media. We want to build high quality media assets. So um, I think that's kind of one of the unique uh, things about our company is that, you know, we operate in kind of dissimilar industries, but because of the team composition and because of the background of the members of the team, we're able to do that pretty, pretty, pretty easily. And, and most of your brands are pretty nuanced and don't seem like something that the average person could start easily. So, so what kind of obstacles did you run into when setting up your business or, or a lot of your different brands? What are some of those obstacles uh, that happened early on for you? Yeah. So like CertiPet, we, we, so we work on behalf of therapists. So we're like a platform and, and this is like, uh, it was like early days before telehealth was really a thing. And we basically were routing, 
you know, uh, clients to therapists. So that was, that was our system, but you could only do it in a specific state because that's how the laws are. They're, they're state centric. They're not national. Um, so because of licensing. And so that was uh, that was a challenge, right? Cause that's a software product. That's a little bit different than a WooCommerce store. So, you know, we had to, you know, find a CTO and we had to build out a team and kind of build how we, how we, how we develop software and push software live. So that, that was a challenge on the honest pause front. That was our first step into really manufacturing products. And then we, I like to say we added in like the additional challenge of doing it in the, um, the, the CBD space or the hemp space, which created a massive amount of complexity um, in terms of how to navigate marketing platforms, right? Because at that time, CBD was kind of still, the farm bill hadn't passed and it still has passed, but it's still kind of this like gray area, but CBD was kind of this gray area or hemp, hemp, hemp products were. Um, and so we had tons of challenges in terms of marketing. So how do you like build a business if you can't run paid advertising? And that kind of comes back to our, our core competency of, of, of content marketing and organic customer acquisition. That was, that was really helpful. So it kind of built that muscle even more. And then you have the challenges of like payments, right? Which most people don't think about because you just sign up for Shopify or you sign up for Stripe, like we did with Certipet and you just get your, you get your merchant account and you go, right? Um, the, the hemp industry is classified as a high risk industry. So it's in the same category as like, um, as we learned, it's, I think it's called like shaft, right? It's like sex, hate, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms or something like that. And then pet and pet products. But, but it's in these kind of high risk industries. And there's two types of high risk. There's like regulatory risk, which is kind of more where we sit. And then there's like fraudulent risk, which is where a lot of these like kind of fly by night brands sit. So that forced us to have to go into this whole new world of understanding how payment systems work and how payment processors work and how to actually like go get a merchant account directly from a bank versus using somebody like a Stripe, um, who, who's like a larger aggregator or PayPal. So that, so I, you know, on that note, it's like how we collect payment and how we were able to acquire customers was way harder than, than, than we anticipated. And then on top of that, we were just learning how to build products, high quality products that are lab tested, that are, um, you know, and that now, you know, USDA uh, certified organic, get them into a warehouse and ship them and then figure out how to build, you know, a wholesale distribution team. So, you know, as you listed out going back to challenges, like those are all kind of nested challenges that have happened over, over the last, uh, you know, three years. And then on top of that, you're like trying to build a brand, build a company and do all the other, you know, business building stuff. So, uh, a lot, lot of, lot of interesting challenges, but you know, challenges are opportunities to, to figure them out. And that's been, what's been so great is now I look back at where we are as a company <clears throat> and all those challenges were just, you know, those were opportunities for us to learn how to do something. And then once you learn how to do something, you don't forget it. And that, that's a capability of your business, right? Which gives you more optionality in the future. So, and specifically with Honest Pause, the, the whole education, uh, educational piece behind that seems really difficult because obviously people are super overprotective of their pets. A lot of people don't understand the difference between, you know, CBD and marijuana. Uh, was that really tough to kind of convince people to give this a try? Um, and how were you able to, to navigate that? 
Yeah, to do that in a compliant way is extremely tough. And I say compliant way because you'll see a lot of ads where CBD is you know, claiming to cure cancer. Um, and we decided not to go that route. So we decided not to be a brand that was you know, overly aggressive on marketing and was being disingenuous to our customers. So, so with that comes, you know, you can only say what's actually true and not a lot of things have been proven true because from a regulatory standpoint, you know, doing any kind of testing or doing any kind of research with cannabis and, um, and hemp was, wasn't really funded for, for, for quite some time. So we had a very limited amount of things that we could say. So we really focused on the segment of the market that knew what they wanted. So if you read the book, Crossing the Chasm, um, they talk about this concept of the innovator's curve of adoption. It just kind of shows how like ideas move through, uh, move through society. And like, I would say when we started, we were really, I can't remember the exact segment, but you know, the, it wasn't the early majority. It's the one before that. But, you know, there's a segment of users that knew what they wanted, right? So they're looking for, you know, CBD products or hemp products for their pets. And so we, we honed in on that market. Um, and that's really around like, you know, Google paid ads, <clears throat> organic customer acquisition, organic search. And from those, those groups of people, um, we were able to build a really good reputation as a company. And then we were able to leverage our reputation in addition to kind of different ways of, of positioning the product um, to start to educate people on the benefits of, of, uh, of hemp products without making any claims, right? Because you can't make claims because this stuff, you know, not everything's been studied. Um, and then that was able to, to grow the company even further. Would you say that a lot of it was timing? Um, because over, you know, I think you were pretty early adopter and, and started this maybe when a lot of people, uh, you know, wouldn't want to use CBD, especially on their pets. Uh, and now as it's become more uh, culturally acceptable, you you were there early. Would you say that timing has had a large part to your success or do you think you... Totally, 100%. Like, I think, I think everybody wakes up and they go to work, Right. And it's awesome when you have tailwinds. <laughs> it's shitty, you know, when you have headwinds, right? And you're fighting an uphill battle. And so I think you know, as you look as as an entrepreneur, right? As you look at um as you look at as you look at kind of where there's opportunity, you really do want to 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 figure out what your beachhead is. And typically your beachhead is something and beachheads, you know, like the area where you kind of gain ground, right? If you're coming out of the ocean. Um, but your beachhead's somewhere where you can, you can kind of dominate and own while you're small. And, and, and the reason is, is because it allows so many things to happen, right? It allows you to build your business, drive revenue. It's kind of out of the scope of like the larger companies that are out there. And so I always, I always, uh, look for, new beachheads or new opportunities where you're able to kind of go into the market when it's early, because as a market matures, every market's like this, there become larger incumbents and incumbents have a vested interest in making sure that nobody disrupts them. So I think, uh, I can't remember if it was the innovators dilemma, but anyway, Clayton Christensen, who is a, um, uh, HBS professor talks about kind of this concept of this disruptive innovation where companies kind of come low market and then move into the, the, the higher, higher end of the market. So for us, CBD is this like market people are like, yeah, it's cannabis for pets, which, you know, isn't what it is. Um, and people weren't really paying attention to it. So it allowed us to build a CPG brand, um, and then ride the wave as it grew. 
And that's the second part is, are you riding a wave or, or is it going to, is it, is it, is it a fad or is it like kind of a sustainable trend, right? Like fidget spinners aren't a thing anymore. Um, and, and so that's just kind of goes through kind of your decision, your decision making in terms of saying like, you know, what is the job to be done here? Like, how is this solving a problem in the market? And like, does it have staying power? So like fidget spinners, totally novel, blew up. Awesome. Like, why would I still have a fidget spinner? Right. Whereas, you know, have derived products for pets, you know, as more research comes out, we were pretty, pretty bullish on, on, on what it would say, like it's solving a problem for pet owners, right? Whether that's, you know, a, you know, the variety of different, different reasons why people buy the product from us. And so, you know, looking through that second lens of like, is this an, is this a new way to address an age old kind of problem or job that needs to get done? Okay. Do I have kind of a unique opportunity to gain traction here where incumbents maybe aren't looking at it or there's some white space, right? And then how can I use this to kind of roll forward and build, build a bigger business? And so that, that's, that's literally the framework that we look at is uh, when starting something new. Yeah. And, and what did you do to really start to take off on that brand? Was there, is there a specific moment that you can think of uh, where it all just started to click for you? I mean, the day one, we did really well, but we leveraged, we like to leverage our existing businesses. So like we leverage what we currently have, um, to build something new. So we're never really starting from zero. And so we really look for complementary products and services. That's why we're, you know, one pet. We're not like one everything. Um, because it's really hard to like get people, you know, we, we have, we have, you know, millions of pet owners kind of in our ecosystem. And it's easier to like solve another problem for them and communicate that problem to them. And if we do that, it just, it, it makes the start a little bit easier. So for honest pause, it's kind of like day one, or I'd say month one, like things went really well, but that was because we were able to leverage what we had currently to, to kickstart it. And we've been able to do that um, a couple more times uh, with other, other businesses. And, and are you cautious of not kind of cross promoting too much or is that the benefit of having all these different companies is that you can really use them as marketing uh, channels for your, uh, your other companies. Yeah. If you do it in a tasteful way, right? Like you're just trying to like buy this, buy this, buy this. Like I think you, you have to be cognizant of like, you know, what, you know, what's too much. Right. And you want to be mindful of the customer's experience, but yeah, we, te- we definitely leverage our brands to, to, to cross promote and, and help them grow. I'd love to know um, a marketing uh, channel that's worked really well for you, uh, as well as maybe a, a non-traditional marketing activity. Because you know, I, I know that you're always trying new things. So I'd love to hear something that maybe uh, first has worked that a lot of people might know about, but then something that not a lot of people do that has really worked for you guys. Yeah, I'd say one thing that's worked really well is organic search. I mean, it's, it's a long-term investment and it's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to be patient enough for it to work out, but hands down, it's the gift that keeps on giving and it, and it meets customers like where, where they are at that moment. And you're able to educate them, build a relationship with them, potentially get a lead, maybe not, or potentially make a sale, maybe not, but you know, that, it's a free brand impression, I guess you could say. Um, so SEO has been, or, or content marketing has been kind of critical to our growth as a business and, and really helpful. And we continue to 
to to develop that skill and and those 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 assets within the company. Um, in terms of non traditional marketing, you know, I'd say that one thing that's worked well for us is partnerships with nonprofits. Like nonprofits are great. I mean, they're really businesses, right? They just don't make, you know, they're, they're not for profit. And a lot of them, there's tons of opportunity to work with them to, um, to work with their, you know, their following to, to help build your brand. And they're more than they're, they're like, they're just great to work with overall. They're, you know, they're mission driven, but sometimes they need help with different things. And so we've done a lot of stuff with nonprofits in terms of partnerships uh, that have worked out extremely well for us. Makes sense. And and you're currently mainly an e-commerce company, uh, from what I remember. Do you plan to stay that way? Or would you love to start getting into brick and mortar as well? We're we're in a lot of stores now. Yeah. So so we we expanded. I think again, going back to like beachheads and initial traction, right? Like at the end of the day, all businesses become the same, right? They have a product or service that solves a problem for customers and they want to distribute that in all the different ways possible. I think to say that you're going to just be an e-commerce company is limiting, but to say that you're going to start an e-commerce, that makes sense because there's, you know, there are less barriers to entry and you're able to get traction and there's no intermediaries like, you know, like a, a buyer from a large retail store preventing you from moving forward. So the way I always view it is, is what can we do where we get the best feedback and own the relationship with the customer to make our business better? And then on the side, the other side of it is then it's like, how do we expand? And like, you're just not going to be able to do everything. So here's a great example. If we wanted to expand into, you know, let's say the Chinese market, um, I don't know anything about that market. And so we're going to probably partner with a distributor and we're going to figure out how to partner with people who have those distribution channels there, um, which means that we're selling to a distributor or selling to uh, a potential retailer, right? We would do that because that's, that, that's, a, that's a great way to go. On the other side is in the United States, like most commerce still happens like at the store. Right. I actually still go to the pet store to buy stuff. Um, and now when they, you know, in the pet industry, like they bundle services too. Right. So you'll have like groomers or veterinarians or, um, you know, a variety of different services bundled with the store. So it's kind of a, a comprehensive experience. And so I, I don't, I don't think you want to let pigeonhole yourself to one channel. I just like e-commerce because it's faster. Um, but you know, long term, I, I see us as being an omni-channel brand. That's anywhere where uh, we could uh, meet the customer. And how has that been going in terms of uh, companies, you know, brick and mortar stores being willing to sell CBD products? Is it has that increased over the years, or is it still got got a long way to go before you can go to most pet stores and they're selling CBD products? I think, like anything, it's like there's like a you know, if you're, if you're a smaller independent retailer or you're say a CBD shop, right. Your risk tolerance is different than if you're a large retailer, um, because the large retailer has more risk. Right. Um, so I think is, you know, when the farm bill passed, it's still, it's taking time for people to get comfortable, um, with hemp derived products. Right. Uh, and, and CBD, I say maybe hemp derived is not the best best word because there's like some hemp seed products which is different um so i think i think the larger retailers just they just take longer to adopt new things and i I get it because there's there's a higher risk profile i think like cbs and 
or Walgreens start doing topical CBD products, um, but topical versus ingestible, right? And again, that's that's just kind of that risk calculation for them um, because they're a big target. If something goes wrong, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I want to ask you. So you've been able to build out all these really interesting, unique brands. Uh, and that do a lot of different stuff. So I want to ask you about how you hire people and how, how you choose to uh, choose who you want to work with. Uh, and do you usually work with people that work on multiple different brands or do you just want to stick them to one brand at a time to keep them hyper-focused? Yeah, so I think in the beginning when we started, you know, we were working with, you know, a lot of times your business, you're you're working with, kind of people that you have that are, you know, have some degree of connection to, to your inner circle. And over time, obviously, as we've grown as a company, that's changed. And so now what we look for, and also too, in the beginning, you're looking more for generalists because like you have a lot of things to do and you just want to hire a huge team. So in the beginning, we had a lot more generalists who were hired to do, you know, more general things, kind of the get shit done mindset. And as we've grown, like we've, 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 we've begun to specialize, um, into cross-functional teams. And so, you know, I think about it as like any organism, right? Like you're probably like a, you know, as a, you know, it's been a while since I took biology, but you know, you're a bunch of cells that are undifferentiated, you know, just kind of hang out and then you become, you know, this complex organism where you do have specialization, right? <laughs> like our skin cells are different than, you know, um, like our, our neurons. And so, so like for us, like that's been the transition over the last like year is like the switch from a lot of generalists getting shit done. And then that just didn't work anymore because things got more complex and we're, we're all remote. I, I can't remember. I said that we're fully remote. Um, so then it's the, this, this repositioning to like cross-functional teams, which are like micro businesses, I guess you could say that have, you know, have all the resources that they need to achieve like a really clear set of objectives that have defined key results. And so um, at this point now in our business, we're really focused on hiring people that have specific skills and that complement specific teams. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. It was more generalist who could do whatever needed to get done. Um, and that only takes you so far <laughs> because you still want people with that mindset. Like, uh, but, but at the same time, like, you know, you start to have things that people can go deeper on and, and, and really, and really hone in their expertise versus going shallow on a lot of things. And do you have any uh, tips for during that hiring and interview process of like questions to ask and things to look for to make sure that you're getting the right people uh, for what you're looking for? Yeah, there's this concept called top grading and I like it a lot. And it, and it's really goes through the past history of the applicants, um, you know, previous jobs. And it asks a specific set of questions. And what you're really trying to understand is like their journey, what they've accomplished and their journey over, you know, the last like eight to 10 years. And that, that gives you a good indication of, of who they are as a person. It's not perfect, but it's better than asking like random questions on the spot. Some people just interview well, some people interview terribly, but one thing that, that, that over a long enough timeline, you can kind of see trends, right? And so the top grading, um, interview process to me gives me like kind of a clear process, um, for how to understand someone's like, like, 
job trend, I guess you could say, like, like basically what trajectory they've been on since day one and kind of like, and those trends are really big indicators of how they'll act in the future. Right. Um, versus like, you know, asking a question on the spot that tells you how they think about something that moment, but like, you know, trend lines tell you a lot. And do you believe in kind of giving people little tasks to kind of see what they do or are you more focused in just hearing their whole story before making a, a decision? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the role, but we definitely like to look at kind of historic performance and then give someone kind of a case study um, of how they would solve a problem just to kind of see their, their problem solving. Um, we, we, we do do that and that's been helpful. But again, I, I really think like past performance is a great indicator of, of who that person is. Cause like, um, they're going to they're going to work every day doing things, and over over a long enough timeline, like you see a trend. So definitely. Um, and are are you hundred percent focused right now on just dominating the pet industry, or are there other industries that you want to get in as well, or are already in? Yeah. So our this company, like we're focused on pet. Um, I advise some businesses that are not in pet, but I don't really do anything in those companies that's more of an advisory role or I'll invest in things that are outside of pet, you know, things that are, that are focused on the spaces that I, I know. Um, but for us, like every day we wake up and we figure out how to make our uh, pet customers happier. So definitely. Well, what are some of those other perhaps growth industries that you're excited about as well? <clears throat> from maybe an investment uh, side, since I know you're pretty focused on one growing one pet. Digital health. I mean, I think, you know, going back to that framework of like the jobs to be done framework, like what are timeless problems? So like I kind of start from this thought of what are timeless problems that everybody has and how are people innovating the way that it's done, right? So when I look at um, digital health, like, People will continue to have health problems um, and want and, and take a vested interest in their health, you know, from now until forever. And so, if that's the case, like these are kind of timeless markets, but they're being really heavily disrupted. COVID was an accelerant, but it started before COVID. And what you're seeing is, is like, you know, more efficient ways to do certain things. So, digital health to me is a really interesting industry, and you know, the investment dollars. Are, are great signals to like the opportunity because the health markets like one of the largest, um, they're, you know, one of the largest markets in the United States, I think it's like energy and health. Um, I don't know where food sits in there, but it's, 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 it's a, it's kind of a fundamental space. So I, I, I love digital health. The other areas that, um, I think if you're getting into entrepreneurship and you're trying to solve problems, cause that's really what it's about. I mean, you, the, the, the markets that are going to grow that don't necessarily fully exist yet. So kind of riding that wave getting those tailwinds, blockchain, and obviously artificial intelligence. I mean, I think you and I have talked about it before, but like GPT-3, like from OpenAI, just, you know, looking at where that's at today, like that's here today, um, totally changes the way that we think about how content and how computers will understand um, words in the future, right? So that's just that's just one 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 part of it, right? So the AI market, um, you know, if you're looking at places to go, it's like how do you build skills and understanding in that space, and then ride the wave. 
And the other side is, is blockchain technology, not specifically like crypto or Bitcoin, not specific to any token, but just the concept of a decentralized ledger and what can that empower, right? Because, you know, if you, if you kind of, if you believe in that concept that there's a, you know, what is it, a W3, like worldwide web three or web 3.0 or whatever, if you, if you believe that that's happening, like a lot of things are going to have to get rebuilt and it's going to require entrepreneurs and builders to do that. And that's a massive opportunity, right? But again, coming, those are, those are kind of technologies, but then looking at it through that lens of like, how am I solving a problem for customers, <laughs> right? What is the job to be done here? And so the intersection of those two things show massive amounts of opportunity and, you know, applying those technologies to digital health, or, you know, finding other, other industries to apply them to. And sometimes the least sexy industries are the best because nobody's looking at them, right? Like, you know, I, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but, you know, the less sexy it is and the less like people talk about it, but the more fundamental it is, um, you know, huge opportunity, right? I think there's, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but was working in kind of like the services business. So like, you know, contractors that do services um, and building solutions for them. And like the contracting world's huge and nobody addressed it because, you know, a lot of people that are building stuff maybe didn't have experience there, but, you know, huge market, huge opportunity to solve problems and fundamental people are always going to be, you know, uh, contracting for services for project managers or, or general, con- uh, general, um, uh, uh, general contractors for doing things at your house. And so that's just an example of like technology to what, what would be considered like an unsexy industry, right? Um, so. so what might be a business that you would personally start uh, with all the knowledge you have now, if you uh, were just getting started as an entrepreneur and didn't have um, all the brands that you have right now? Got it. If I was starting something right now, um, ooh, that's hard. Uh, I'd have to, I have to think about that. Um, I've got a list somewhere. Um, but I, off the top of my head, I can't think about what a specific business is. I will say this, like the working remotely is, is definitely caught on and managing remote teams at scale. And I know we have Asana and ClickUp and Trello, but I think, I think one problem that I think is really interesting. And I think the only company that's solving is like remote.com, but like, uh, like, how do you engage and hire a global workforce more efficiently? It's really pain in the ass right now. And like, it's better than it was, right? Like, I think Upwork and I think that used to be called something else. Um, but it, it's got, it's gotten better. But I just think that like distributed work and kind of distributed coordination and distributed like value transfer, right? Like paying people, tracking things. I think there's, there's lots of opportunities in that. And I think that. I mean, everybody has a job, right? So, so it's, it's huge market and everybody has a vested interest in like working more efficiently. And so as we look at opening up new markets, like say in Africa, or like we have, we have teams in South America, like the amount of hoops that I have to jump through to make that happen is, is nuts, man. And then some of the platforms that exist today, they're just really expensive, right? They take a huge cut for managing that for you. So I think, I think there's opportunities for, for solving that in a creative way. And I think businesses, businesses, uh, want that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that'd probably be kind of work for how, how to manage and work 
remotely better, but also how to like work across different countries, um, just because there's talented people everywhere. Yeah. So going off of that, you you personally run the company out of Puerto Rico, and like you said, everything is remote. So what are some advantages and maybe some disadvantages in that? Disadvantages are um, disadvantages are is that like if you're not working with purely contractors, so like 1099 employees, right? Um, you have W-2s is like every state has its own filing requirements and then countries have their own labor laws, right? So there's a huge layer there of like, you know, not international and, and, and even national and state labor laws and labor, labor, labor kind of requirements that, that need to be solved. And so, um, that's one of the challenges, uh, that, that, that we always face. Um, but on the benefit side, right, you, you get to access talent from anywhere. So, um, you know, we don't look at a specific country or anything like that. We look at the individual and because we've done that since day one, like we've built that muscle and we've kind of built that capability to be able to navigate that pretty, pretty seamlessly as a company. Um, so it, it just opens up opportunity in terms of talent. Right. But definitely comes with a cost, right. Which is, which is on, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, labor rules in different countries and, and, uh, and payments, right. And paying, paying employees at scale. Yeah. It's definitely, I think getting flipped on its head with, with everything that's happened with COVID and everyone's having to adjust now, but you were kind of well set, um, for that. Um, so I wanted to know, you know, you've, you've helped me a lot with the growth of my business, given me advice, introduced me to people. Uh, has there been any mentors for you that kind of really helped you out along the way? I'd say, you know, different parts in my career. Yes. Um, but not, not currently, but like a different parts of my career, hundred percent, like, you know, kind of when I was getting started. Um, but it definitely is helpful to have somebody who's done it before kind of help you know, clear the path for you. So you can learn on, uh, other, or you can learn from other people's mistakes, which is a good way to do it. But yeah, I, like I said, like at different points, different, different types of mentors, but, but no one that's been kind of, you know, there throughout the whole thing. Cause you solve different, you have different problems and challenges at different, different times. For sure. And, and how has kind of being an entrepreneur changed the way you think about the world and, and what do you do to keep motivated and constantly get new ideas here. Yeah. I don't think you necessarily need a lot of new ideas because like executing a few ideas is, is pretty valuable. I think it, but it, it does kind of make you think through like how to solve problems. So I think entrepreneurship is this challenge of like bringing like order to chaos and then, you know, constantly trying to prioritize and solve problems. So I think it makes you just a better problem solver and it opens you, it, it, it introduces you to a uh, massive amount of new industries. So um, you get a broad perspective of things. So to run a business, it doesn't just mean you have to have a great product and you sell that product, you know, going back to HR, like you have to learn that, you know, finance or say supply chain logistics or kind of, you know, international trade regulations if you're bringing things in from other countries. So I think, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, like you're constantly learning. And then in terms of motivation, um, I'd say, I just, I really like, really like what I do. I like solving problems, I like waking up and figuring out how to solve things. It keeps me engaged. Um, and I think that's, I'm lucky that I enjoy it because, uh, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of things to solve. 
So, absolutely. Uh, and my last question, uh, as pertains to your brands, at least, uh, where do you envision the future of Honest Paws or even broader One Pet? Uh, obviously, it's super hard to predict, but rough timeline over the next one year, five year, uh, and ten years. What does that kind of look like ideally for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, we're looking to build a portfolio of high quality direct to consumer brands and we're going to continue to build those and grow those businesses and you know solve problems for our customers and so you know the way i view it is is that again like i think all businesses are kind of the same in the end but you know a lot of the larger uh publicly traded companies right like um the P&Gs of the world the johnson and johnsons right like they're a, they have a portfolio of businesses underneath the umbrella of their larger company, and so we're just going to continue to grow our business. Um, but yeah, don't don't have any specific plans of what we're going to do with it. But we're just going to continue to grow them and continue to grow out our existing brands and maybe start acquiring more versus building from zero because building from zero requires a lot of energy. So I think probably acquisitions are are in the future a lot more acquisitions than building from zero and just kind of continue to grow it. And is getting acquired a goal for you or is just keeping acquiring and growing uh, your own portfolio more important? Yeah, I haven't really like getting acquired has never been a goal. Um, To me, it's like building the business to the largest scale possible has always been the goal. So I think we're just going to continue to do that. And then we'll we'll see how everything kind of shakes out over the next, you know, five to six years. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to a part of the uh, uh, a part of the interview that we call the quick fire round. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a number of questions here that don't necessarily pertain to one pet or honest pause. Uh, and if you can, uh, can you answer in 30 seconds or less? Okay. So, do you have any morning rituals that you do to kickstart your day? Go to the gym. That's like, just get, get to the gym. And when I don't, I feel terrible. <laughs> so going to the gym in the morning. Is there a time that you typically try and do that at? <clears throat> no, I'm not like a uh, get up at four and meditate. Do I, I'm just not that disciplined, I guess. Um, I'm kind of the person, you know, I get up and I like to work out before I start my day and just and do something physical so that I kind of, you know, expend some energy and get, get the blood flowing. Whose content do you listen to, watch, or read the most? Um, I I consume so many different types of content, but like you know, recently I've been really interested in um, you know a lot of a lot of things surrounding kind of behavioral economics and behavioral science. It's Dan Arelli, I can't remember how to say his last name, but um, you know things pertaining to that, and then on the other side, another another area that I'm really interested in um, is 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 really related to uh, just like general human psychology. There's this guy Nick Kalenda, and he's got a series of books, and I I think it's like it's really interesting. I mean, he just does research. He researches like research papers and then turns it into digestible content. And it's all around human psychology. And I just love anything he puts out because I've just never seen anybody create content like that before. And what is your favorite book of all time? Um, My favorite book of all time. That's hard because I feel like books are the the relatives like what you're trying to like, you can get something different out of, uh, out of all of them, you know, I'd say when it comes to like 
building stuff and say business. I think Hooked is a really good book. It's not necessarily it doesn't go super deep, but it introduced me to the concept of like this, you know, trigger action variable reward investment and just kind of how, you know, kind of this, this concept of like how dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins like are these levers that drive human behavior. So I think that 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 area kind of aligns with the behavioral science side. But that book was my intro into that. And that was really, really, really good. And then um, I'd say on another front, um, I thought Sapi- Sapiens was a great book. I just thought that was really interesting, kind of just looking at kind of humanity over time. It was, it was a pretty, 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 pretty great book. Yeah, I love Sapiens. I, I, I got to check out Hook, though. I haven't heard of it. Um, what is your favorite purchase of $100 or less? My air fryer. Your air fryer? <laughs> I bought that thing and used it. <laughs> I think I've used it, you know, since I bought it, I've used it at least twice or three times a week since I got it. Is it uh, our, our new, we're renovating our kitchen and our new, our new, um, our new stove is going to have an air fryer. In, so <laughs> is there a specific, is there a specific brand that you'd plug? Uh, no specific. Brand. I mean, I just have the Ninja brand, um, but we're going to change to another one. I just think it's, it's just such an easy way to cook and it's healthy. So I, I, I like that. Uh, what is your favorite place that you've ever been to? My favorite place that I've never been to. That you've ever been to. I'd say, Oh, that I've ever been to. Okay, sorry, I missed that. Um, favorite place that I've ever been to. Um, I ooh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I'd say in a lot of places. So I, I'm trying to think. Favorite place that I've ever. Been. Yeah, I might have to take a pass on that one because, like, there's just there's so I've. You know, when I was in the military, I traveled a lot. So I've been to a lot of different places and I can't peg any place as my favorite. It's just each place has its own experience. And those experiences are, they're great for that, right? Versus just being great in an absolute sense. You can give a handful or where's somewhere that you would consider moving? Oh, consider moving? I mean, uh, well, I love New York City. So I was born in New York City. I think it's, I mean, it's an amazing city. Um, I love living in San Diego. I actually really like living in Puerto Rico. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful here. Um, you know, live, lived in Asia for quite some time. I love Northern Thailand. Thought it was really beautiful. Um, you know, I think when you look at the cityscape, it's like love New York, love London, um, love Tokyo. You know, when you look at kind of more natural beauty, if you want more of the the mountains, like Colorado's amazing. If you want more of like the ocean and and beach vibe, you know, a lot of places in Southeast Asia are great, like Thailand, for example. Yeah. What is your favorite brand uh, that isn't one that you own? My favorite brand isn't one that I own. Um, I wear a lot of athleisure, so I wear a lot of Lululemon. Uh, mostly because I work from home and it's super comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and my last question here is what advice would you give to someone looking to build their own influence, whether that is in the business or influencer world? Yeah. I mean, going back to just get really good at a very specific thing. And if you have a question of what those specific things are, like, you know, learn, learn enough about Google search to be able to see that you can see 
everything that people are querying, get really good at one thing, kind of like to thinking about beachheads, right? Because if you're really good at one thing, then you have that specific knowledge, people will come to you for that. And then you could always grow and develop, you know, a broader set of skills over time. So I think finding one thing that you're great at, that you know, ideally it aligns with what you love to do, but that doesn't always have to be the case. And then from there, you can use that as the beachhead to grow into to other, 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 um, other skill sets and, and other areas to leverage your influence. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that a lot of people can uh, learn a lot about your journey going all the way from the Navy uh, to starting a pet conglomerate. Uh, I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned there, and I really appreciate uh, you going through that with me. And that was Hunting Influence. To find out more about Influence Hunter and how we source micro and nano influencers to exponentially grow the reach of your brand, visit InfluenceHunter.com. And then make sure to search for Hunting Influence in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Influence Hunter, thanks for listening.